1: What is up, dolphins fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, January the 29th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football, and on today's show, the coaching staff appears to be finalized Finally, Gerald Alexander, announced as a defensive backs coach, will detail his career and all the praise he's received from his contemporaries. Plus, free agency has a negative connotation attached with high price shopping. But is that legitimate in 2020? We'll talk about that. And finally, get to the segment I teased all last week discussing potential draft day sliders that Miami could have available at picks 18, 26, and beyond. All of that and a heck of a lot more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. The show is at Locked On Fins, and we're gonna follow you back. Plus, lockedondolphins.com, the number one blog in the entire Locked On Network. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Excellent. So, Gerald Alexander has been named the defensive backs coach of your Miami Dolphins 2020 football team. As you likely know by now, but we haven't had the time to dig into it on who he is here on the podcast. But he arrives with plenty of fanfare, pretty much to a man. He's universally praised by coaches and former scouts and former guys that have played for him. The Move the Sticks podcast, who I talk about all the time on this podcast interviewed Ashton Davis, the Cal safety, and he had effusive praise for his positional coach. The MTS guys did as well. And you guys remember me having Nick Needham's mother on the podcast last summer? She actually reached out to me on Twitter to give me some factoids on the new coach. Alexander coached Nick Needham's best friend Jalen Hawkins back in high school. He wound up with seven career picks at Cal. Forty-eight games played total in his four-year career there for the Cal secondary. Which, by the way, in 2018 they allowed 174 passing yards per game in the pass-happy Pac-12. That's outrageous. And another Cal note on how they dominated the Pac-12 with their defense, they held my alma mater, Go Cougs, to 3, 13, and 20 points the last three seasons. The Cougs average around 40 points per game under Mike Leach, so he always had that secondary ready for the air raid attack. But back to Hawkins real quick, he raves about Coach Alexander, says Mama Needham, and I'd be pretty surprised if this guy doesn't wind up signing a undrafted free agent deal with Miami after the draft. He's probably not going to get drafted, but maybe he can be the the next Nick Needham here for your Miami Dolphins. Alexander's coaching history is this. First, he played five years in the league. He was with Miami for part of the 2011 season, but he was also with four teams his last two years in the professional ranks, so he turned to coaching. He went to Arkansas State for a year, then UW for a year as graduate assistants at both stops there. That's where he was reunited with Jimmy Lake, and more on that here in just one second. Then after that, he made a stop with the Bucks as an intern, went to be the DB coach at Indiana State, came back to the NFL to intern with the Tennessee Titans, then to Montana State as the defense. Defensive backs coach. Then he spent the last three years from 2017 until this last season in the Pac-12 with the Cal Golden Bears. He grew up in Rancho Cucamonga so that was kind of a homecoming for him to coach the Cal Bears defense or defensive backs. But I referenced his relationship with Jimmy Lake, the now UW Washington head coach. He played his college ball under Chris Peterson at Boise State and then obviously Peterson wound up there at UW where he, among other things, ruined my Apple Cup for seven straight years. But the one thing UW always did with that program was churn out excellent defensive backs, including multiple high draft picks that were there at the time that Alexander was there as an assistant behind Jimmy Lake as a GA, Buda Baker, Kevin King, Sidney Jones, Taylor Rapp, just a loaded secondary up here in the Pacific Northwest. And the reason I say that Alexander was reunited with Jimmy Lake in Washington was because he played under Jimmy Lake when he was with the Detroit Lions back in 2010. And there was a great piece written from Bruce Feldman up on The Athletic regarding Jimmy Lake and Gerald Alexander from that article. In that 2014 season, Alexander shadowed Lake pretty much everywhere he went. And Chris Peterson told Alexander that it would be beneficial for him to see the way Lake did things from the back of the room, how he addressed players, how he went about his business. And one of the things that Alexander picked up was a message that Lake used and preaches every single day, one that really resonated with him. And wouldn't you know it, it comes right off the wall from the New England Patriots facility, quote, practice execution becomes game reality, end quote. And they have that quote up next to a picture of Malcolm Butler, who made, of course, the game winning Interception in the Super Bowl when he got beat in practice on that rep, they repped it and repped it and repped it again until he got it down. And of course, when it came time to make the play in the game, he helped them win the Super Bowl. So it's all about preparation. And what does Coach Flores tell us? There's joy in the hard work. These two men, these two savants of the game of football, and hopefully one day both legendary coaches are cut from the same cloth, man. And that's the kind of cloth I want my coach to be cut from. Alexander said this about that year at UW: "Quote that laid a great foundation for me." It was learning and observing how he'd right the wrongs, fire them up, motivate and encourage them, not belittle them, how he'd organize the meetings, the wording that he used. I take all of that in. He taught differently in terms of the clarity. It was clear, concise, and he did it with repetition. He has a great way of presenting information. He said he learned it from coach John Gruden, who was a master presenter. And that when you're the head coach of your room, how you present information is even more vital than the information itself. He's teaching the what, the how in an informative way. So every single meeting wasn't painful. He wants the kids to be excited about learning. And those kids know that what they came in as was different than what they left there as. He had respect of all those kids, the culture that he builds with the DB unit, the linebacker saw it, the defensive line saw it. They all believed in him and they were going to hang on every single word that he was saying, end quote there. So you hear the comments about teaching, about connecting to the players, about explaining the why of certain things. It really makes so much sense, and it pretty much was a no-brainer as to why he was brought on this staff, because he basically jives with all of the core principles and core tenets that Brian Flores believes in. And then to finish that article here, quote, it's dear to me that another black coach was promoted to the head coaching spot following a legendary coach like Chris Peterson, and that was a no-brainer, somebody that looks like me is leading a team, and that is significant for the aspiring black coaches in the profession. That's a tremendous thing, that's at least how I view it. End quote. And I'm trying like heck to find this, but I can't locate it on Twitter or otherwise. Earlier in the week, the Dolphins were honored for some type of award that related to diversity in the workplace. I forget the name of it. I forget what it was for, so my apologies for that, but it's just fitting and in line with all these messages and all these ideas the Dolphins have about where they find their coaches and their willingness to give people that maybe other teams would not give a chance in this industry and this profession. It's super, super refreshing for the Dolphins to be the one at the forefront of that charge. All right, we're here at our first break, but I don't want to stop this discussion on Coach Alexander because there's a lot more to get to. We'll come back on the other side with more on Coach, but first... When it comes to coaching you up in the bedroom, is it just you in there flopping around by yourself, or do you have somebody at your side? Listen up, fellas. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence where it most counts with Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, before dinner, after the drinks, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. It's not just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance when it gets to between the sheets. Blue Chew is made in the USA and since they prepare and ship direct, Blue Chew is cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code On to try it for free. Luchu is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this
0: offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft.
1: I just love this song. It's going to be so fitting oh so soon. In addition to bringing on Gerald Alexander as the Dolphins defensive backs coach we know about Kirk Kuntz we'll call him I think that's how you pronounce it we'll stay that way on the safe side but he will be the assistant defensive backs coach working in behind Gerald Alexander so a little bit of an interesting dynamic there because Kuntz is obviously much more senior than a young Gerald Alexander who's right around my age but he's going to learn behind an established coach who has experience at the position at this level as well as with the college players and young men who are beyond on the high school level. So it's a great opportunity for Koontz to come in and learn the work behind the scenes. And I think the Dolphins just got an upgrade here when you consider that they have Josh Boyer already in tow. And that's the next topic I want to bring up here because the Dolphins are just loaded across the board with defensive backs coaches or guys whose background began coaching in the defensive backs rooms. We've heard Brian Flores talk about Josh Boyer under the breath that he worked with him at cornerback and safety because those were the positional jobs they had up in New England. And granted, Brian Flores worked pretty much every single job from scouting department, from analytics to coaching on offense, special teams, defense. He's done it all, but he will tell you his area of expertise is with the defensive backs. And the same is true of Josh Boyer, who is now the defensive coordinator here for Miami. Then you have Gerald Alexander, who again is unanimously praised as a fast riser in the coaching community. And then of course, the high school coach, Kirk Kuntz will be there as well. So what does all this mean? Well, we know that New England's scheme or defensive scheme was always defensive back driven. You've had Devin McCourty, who's been elite forever. Stephon Gilmore is the best cornerback in football and has been for a couple of years. Patrick Chung has been raised as the straw that stirs the entire drink in that defense. And when you watch the way they use him, he might be because of all the roles and responsibilities he has, but they've also uncovered some gems from nowhere. You go back to Malcolm Butler and JC Jackson, the most famous UDFAs. And even though Butler made the big play in the Super Bowl to get them a Lombardi trophy, J.C. Jackson's been a better player at this stage of his career. They've had bottom-tier free agent signings like Jason McCourty come in here and be an integral part of a Super Bowl run. Daron Harmon's been there for years, and he's a critical element to the prevalent three safety packages they use in New England. Lots of times their nickel defense will be three safeties and two corners because, as we talk about all the time here, the Dolphins under Flores, of course the Patriots under Belichick, and now the Lions under Patricia will use safeties to come down and cover up in the slot or even sometimes on the outside, so you have to have two good corners on the perimeter and three safeties that can play pretty much every single role to position, including coming down and matching up in man coverage. So the Dolphins, what do they have? They have an elite cornerback. That's Xavier Howard, in case you didn't know. Eric Rowe is there for the Pat Chung role, and I think he suits that role very well, personally. A good slot cornerback in Bobby McCain, although we'll see if he stays back at single high free safety or comes back down and plays the slot. Maybe a little bit of both. I would assume the latter. And then, of course, you have the promise of Nick Needham last year's undrafted gem now if McCain goes back to slot then the single high captain he's not on this roster the third safety is not on this roster and the cornerback depth is not here either unless you have someone unforeseen like Tay Hayes make an emphatic rise up the depth chart which is not beyond comprehension or beyond the realm of possibilities for him to go ahead and do that of course if McCain does stay at safety I tend to think that you're maybe average at best at that spot and then you open up a big gap in the slot cornerback position do You put Jamal Wilts there? I'm not really sure. I still tend to think that he's a better dime defensive back who can come onto the field as the sixth defensive back and play third long situations and rally and tackle things in front of him. So there will be some evaluation they have to do to determine what they want to do in the offseason because both free agency and the draft offer some top of the line solutions. Whether you talk about Justin Simmons from the Denver Broncos or Anthony Harris of the Minnesota Vikings, I tend to think that maybe Minnesota might have to let Harris go depending on who else they pay. They obviously brought back Anthony Barr last year. They can't let Eric Kendricks get out of the building. Everson Griffin's a free agent. They just took care of Daniil Hunter. They paid top-of-the-line money to Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, although Diggs could be out. They're going to have to pay Dalvin Cook here pretty soon. And of course, you still have the contract for Kirk Cousins there. So you could go after Anthony Harris, and he would be a major, major solution for both the single high safety look because he's rangy, can go sideline to sideline, but he also can come down and cover. Then you have the draft, and the first round of the draft offers up Xavier McKeown, Kenny from Alabama, who can do just about everything. He can do the single high stuff. He can match up and man coverage, take out backs and tight ends. He can even come down to the box and blitz and play the run. I really don't classify Grant Delpit in that first round range, even though I know most draft pundits do. But if you do go out and get him, he's going to be more of that Rashad Jones type who plays down around the line of scrimmage. But I just don't like his open field tackling lack of interest, I should say, for lack of a better term there. The second round of the draft has some rangy, versatile safeties and some intriguing press man cornerbacks as well, whether it's AJ Terrell from Clemson, Damon Arnett at Ohio State, you've got the safeties in Antoine Winfield from Minnesota, and the aforementioned Ashton Davis from Cal. Personally, I can't wait to see how this plays out because I think the Dolphins are in prime position to really finally, after years of me begging and pleading, asking for Derwin James, asking for Minka Fitzpatrick, and we got him, which by the way, did Did you see that comment that Minka made over the weekend regarding the Steelers using him in more of an expanded role because things got stagnant in the second half of the season and he didn't produce the way he did in the first half of the season because he was playing too far away from the ball? go figure Minka what do you think happens when you're 20 yards off the ball teams find a way to be able to ignore you so unless you're willing to play multiple spots you can be taken out of the game plan don't you think that Brian Flores had that in mind this guy held the Los Angeles Rams to three points in the freaking Super Bowl after they were the number one scoring offense in the entire NFL hell he blanked Patrick Mahomes for a half which to me is a hell of an accomplishment you hold that guy down for 30 minutes you did something right in the AFC Championship game Brian Flores knows what the hell he's talking about I guarantee you he's a better football coach than Keith Butler over there in Pittsburgh so I just find it interesting and ironic that Minka is complaining about his position once again I'm sure that issue will go away soon great good for you Pittsburgh okay that's the end of that rant but the idea is based around the Dolphins safety position and the defensive backs for the most part having such good coaches available to them right now and the ability hopefully to develop more guys like a Nick Needham maybe they can resurrect a Cordrea Tankersley maybe they do have something in Tay Hayes maybe they feel like they can get something out of Montreal Trey Hardage as a safety. Either way you slice it, it all comes back to the ultimate trust in the coaching staff. And I think this particular portion of the coaching staff, way more so than the offensive side, has earned our trust because of their track record and who everybody tells us who all these guys are from Flores to Boyer all the way down to Gerald Alexander and all the assistants across the positional coaching rooms on this Miami Dolphins coaching staff. All right, we are almost to our next break, but first I want to get to this segment I've been teasing for what seems like forever now some possible draft day sliders. And I want to hear from you guys on this topic as well on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Hit me up or at the Locked On Fins, Locked On Dolphins Twitter account. I want to talk about players that maybe could slide to you at certain portions throughout the draft because we see it every year. I talked about this last week on the podcast with the Jacksonville Jaguars getting Josh Allen with the sixth pick in the draft and then coming back at the top of round two and getting Jawan Taylor, a right tackle who played all 16 games for them. And Josh Allen was everybody's top defensive end slash pass rusher slash edge player. And the Raiders decided to go after Cleveland Furrell instead of getting Josh Allen, the best pass rusher. Then the Jags come back in round two. And because Jawan Taylor got hit with a medical flag, they're able to get a first round prospect, a guy that many believe believed was in play for Miami with the 13th pick in the draft. They get him in the 40s. So I won't repeat my propaganda about how Miami can take best player available because of the position they're in where they have so many needs across the roster, but I will propose some ideas about some guys that could fall to you at 18, 26, and beyond that. Andrew Thomas, I talked about him last week to start this segment off. I think he makes the most sense, although I still believe that it's going to be Makai Becton. I think the traits... And maybe some of the more unrefined aspects of his game will have him fall behind Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas as somebody's going to fall in love with Andrew Thomas for the way he bullies people at the line of scrimmage. But the idea is that among these four tackles, one of them figures to be there at pick number 18. At least you think they could be. And is it going to be Andrew Thomas? I wouldn't count that out. Christian Fulton, to me, screams Greedy Williams part two last year. I recall tweeting about Greedy Williams falling down to day two because of his complete lack of interest in tackling. Sounds familiar to Grant Delpit. And Christian Fulton doesn't have that issue. But that national championship game, I thought, really exposed some of the warts he might have in his game. The ability to play the football in the air, or lack thereof. The lack of long speed, which at this level, if you can't run straight fast as a cornerback, you're going to get torched because all these receivers can run these days. You got too many 4-2 and 4-3 guys out there to be slow outside. And if you're not that, you better be damn good in cover three or pressing up tight in man coverage, which, of course, this defense is pure man coverage for the most part and Christian Fulton is not going to be able to do that if he can't turn and run with a receiver how about Nick Harris to day two now he's still my OC1 but he had a bad pitiful week at the senior bowl and maybe some of the issues that he has with power like all the centers the Dolphins have had going back basically to Samson Satelli up now to Daniel Kilgore if you don't have that power you really expose yourself to lots of interior pressure and interior penetration against the run which can string things out and force you to lose yardage in the running game there as well so if he has those issues I'm okay with taking I'm okay with not taking him I should say but if he's there on day 2 maybe even all the way back to 56. Sure. Let's go ahead and do that. And then how about this one? Wide receiver CD Lamb. Could he be there at 18? I saw Brett Coleman the other day mentioned that maybe some media folks and Twitter folks are a little bit higher on land than the rest of the National Football League. And we could easily see Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs go ahead of him. And then from there, if the depth of the receiver class is so strong, maybe teams pass on the idea of a receiver in the first round. And so while Miami have so many resources that they don't have to go out there and need shop, If C.D. Lamb is there, do you just take him? Like, if no trade options are available and the board's not terrific in terms of the tackles or defensive edge or linebackers or whatever you might want, and Lamb's sitting there, do you just take him and get your offense even better? I don't know. I think it's an option for you there. A.J. Epinesa at 18 remains the most attractive on this entire list. I think this is a player that Miami will be higher on than most other teams, and fortunately, after the Detroit picks at 3 and Miami at 5, the Dolphins will be on the board again before the Lions and before. The Patriots at this juncture of the draft, and this is the system that he fits the best. He's not as loose or bendy as some of these other edge guys that can get upfield in the flash and corner really quickly. But he fits exactly what Miami does, so maybe he is there behind guys like Caleb Von Chaseon, maybe even Marlon Davidson, or even Zach Bond. If he's there at 18, he is my top choice. Unless something crazy happens, like Isaiah Simmons falling to that spot, we know that's not going to happen. And the last one here I have on my list. And you heard Kyle Krabs mention this on the Monday podcast. Wisconsin center Tyler Bayadash, who has that hip issue, who has the really bad senior year tape where he probably should have came out after his junior year when he got that high grade from the NFL Draft Committee. But if he's there on day three, I think you'd make no mistake about it and turn the card in there. If he's there on the third round, maybe you do that as well and hope you can get that hip healthy and get him playing back at the level he played at his junior year at Wisconsin. So hit me up. Let me know. What do you think? Is this a good list? Is there anybody else I should add to the list at wingfield nfl on twitter we're going to come back on the other side talk about free agency is it still a farce we'll do that next but first the super bowl is coming up and if you guys want some action on the game or you think your football knowledge is so astute that you could choose any game and call it my Bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, college hoops, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with My Bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, just try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of big favorites, parlays are perfect because it lets you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. If you're tired of watching games from the couch with nothing to gain, MyBookie wants to get your mind off everything else and back into the game. And if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use promo code on one word, to activate that offer. Once again, that's promo code on to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play... You win, you get paid. So we know the Dolphins are heading into free agency, or I should say the off season, with a big shopping list, but also the required assets to really make a strong push to go out there and get some of those needs shored up before the draft even gets here via free agency. And I thought about writing this big hypothesis article that would ask the question, is free agency as a farce a thing of the past? Like, is free agency now in 2020 a system by which you can build a football team. And I went ahead and looked at some of the teams in the past and really not much has changed. It's kind of been the same. Some are good, some are bad. You kind of have to pick and choose your battles because on the grand timeline of the NFL, the free agency era is still basically in its adolescence. By now, we all know that Reggie White was the one who paved the way for veteran players to voluntarily uproot their game and take their talents to a new city. And along the way, we saw Peyton Manning turn the Broncos into an absolute free agent destination and world champion. But on the other side, just a few years prior to that, we saw the converse with Albert Wilson robbing Washington to the tune of $41 million guaranteed on a $100 million contract that he never saw the entire thing. He played just 20 games and gave them six and a half sacks. Now, the Dolphins. Dolphins have endured their own struggles importing these high-priced assets. Mike Wallace flamed out faster than his 40 time. Danell Ellerby was gone as quickly as he arrived. And then you had and Sue, who played in the All-Pro level for a couple of years with Miami, but the impact was not felt in the win column. You go back to that Manning-Broncos teams, and that's the jumping-off point for the pro free agency argument. The Broncos acquired Wes Welker, DeMarcus Ware, Emmanuel Sanders, TJ Ward, Dominique Rodgers-Cromartie, and Akib Talib in addition to Peyton Manning over a two-year stretch. All those guys were free agents and that basically bought them a championship. It's understandable for Dolphins fans to be spooked by the idea of the illustrious yet expensive foreign imports of free agency. The last time the Dolphins were this equipped with this level of artillery with available cap space... Was Jeff Ireland's infamous statement, I've got a lot of picks and a lot of money that backfired in every way imaginable, the Murphy's Law of Jeff Ireland. So for the 2020 Dolphins, money is no object. The roster is in need of reinforcements at nearly every turn, and this team has more draft picks than any other club over the next two seasons, so everything is here in front of Chris Greer and Brian Flores, but should they be wary of the market out there, the pitfalls of the open market? And while I think you'll get people that will scoff at the big price tag they might see at certain spots or with certain players or with certain teams, it all comes down to the culture and scheme and program fit. Like, for instance, last year, the Raiders were pretty much unanimously mocked for signing Trent Brown as their left tackle. He, of course, would flip to right tackle, but he played really, really well and helped solidify one of the best offensive lines that had the Raiders in the running until the last day of the season. Now, of course, they folded in different areas. Their quarterback position got worse as the year went along, but that was a good signing for them, even though they had to pay top of the market type of money. What about Le'Veon Bell with the Jets? That's a bad example. That's an example of a guy not fitting the coaching staff and what they want to do. That was just a disaster signing from the start. That one to me reminds me of Danell Ellerbe when they signed him and brought him into a defensive system that was different than the one he was used to in Baltimore. So you sign a player for a huge price tag and ask him to do something that was different than what made him successful in his previous stop. That's the entire focus of this. And that's why you see so many Dolphins fans pounding the table for former Patriots like Joe Tooney, like Kyle Van Noy, like Devin McCourty. And I am interested to see if the offensive side, as far as the Dolphins and Patriots connection goes, is still intact because there's no more Chad O'Shea. There's no more Jerry Szaplinski. In fact, you might have that entire tie severed completely because Chan Gailey has pretty much come in here and brought his own staff in and there's no Patriots ties left to this coaching staff. We saw Trey Flowers get big money from the Lions last year. I still argue that even though I'm a huge Trey Flowers fan, it was not worth the cost. His sack total will never be above 10 or 11 or 12 sacks. He's more of that scheme-contained rush we play here in Miami. But that big money... I don't know if that one worked out. We saw Nick Foles obviously did not work out. Landon Collins there with Washington. I mean, who cares what he did there? CJ Mosley with the Jets. He just got hurt. Justin Houston worked out very well for the Colts because they knew he's a good speed edge rusher. And what do they have him do? Rush this edge with speed. Novel thought, right? Tyron Matthews, another great example. He did not work out with the Houston Texans, but then he goes to the Chiefs and they put him in that Roamer type of role where he's able to come down and rob, play man coverage, and all of a sudden, he's back to his Pro Bowl ways. Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith both come over as 3-4 edge linebackers, and more specifically with Zadarius playing a very similar role to what he did with the Baltimore Ravens. But the primary takeaway is that when you sign a free agent, when you bring him into your program, do the same things he did that made him successful or at least have a plan where if you're going to change what you want him to do, you believe that he can have success in that way, much like you would for a player that you drafted. Again, last year, Le'Veon Bell, Nick Foles, Did not work out, but you had Earl Thomas and Marlon Humphrey who traded teams in season, and look at what happened to his career. That's the right way to do it. It's all about having the right culture and the right atmosphere. It's about identifying the right fits as free agents, and believe it or not, there are teams that sign players sight unseen without ever even having the internal discussion or discussing the possible fits with that player. Like for instance, what the Texans did with Brock Osweiler a couple years ago, the Dolphins are not going to do that. And this year was all about establishing that first foundation, that first culture, phase one of the intricate plan I've referred to so many times as laid out by Mr. Ross himself back at the January meeting or press conference last year. So when I look at the idea of spending big money on free agents, I think about it in terms of that Broncos team from 2013 to 2014 not the Dolphins team from, well, that same time period. Okay, that is going to be my time today. We'll talk to you guys again tomorrow on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But as for today's show, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. Check out the Kobe Bryant piece by Jason Harina. R.I.P. Kobe. Terrible, terrible, sad news. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the On Dolphins Podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.
0: Hey, Prime members.